The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And uh, this will transition us to the next part of our unfolding ritual, which involves speaking and listening. And so today, uh, not surprisingly, the topic um, I had in mind to share is a ritual and our Dharma practice. Um, I realized that this is not a popular topic uh, in the Western Theravada centers, and especially um, maybe a, you know lay community centers. Um, and there can be certain, um, we can have a certain kind of a relationship when the words uh, ritual gets uttered. And uh, some may consider this as superficial or even cultural baggage or not necessary as part of the Buddhist practice. Um, and I can totally relate to that. And I, for me, I've been to uh, Chinese temples um, with lots of rich rituals and involves incense burning and money making. <laughs> and so I can feel a sense of baggage associated with it. And yet, rituals, uh, whether they're seen, unseen, um, known, unknown. They are part of many religious um, traditions and spiritual life. In um, some of the cultures, like uh, the culture I came from, the Asian culture, uh, rituals are quite significant and prominent. I remember once visiting um, Venerable uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, you know, who uh, lives in a Chinese monastery. And, and I asked him, uh, what is the biggest difference between kind of a, uh, the uh, Western Theravada uh, traditions and the Chinese Buddhism in his experience, given that he's living <laughs> in a Chinese monastery? And he said, much is in common, um, but where he lives, and there were a lot of rituals, and they can be quite long, hours and hours of bowing. And, um, and so, um, and often uh, they are involved in kind of bowing, chanting, different forms uh, in the rituals, and they are rich in a lot of different cultures, uh, like myself coming from the Asian culture. In the Western Theravada Center like this, uh, Insight Meditation Center, um, many of us come to the center may not even notice any ritual whatsoever. Um, but rituals are here. And so those of you who come through the door, and, and now this may be a not so obvious for those who are online on on YouTube, but entering into IMC, uh, what we often do is put our shoes on the shelves 
and we come into the meditation hall. Some people bow in front of the Buddha statue, and uh, then we take our seat. And at the end of uh, the session, often people bow out and uh, leave. And so there are these rituals present, uh, even in a center like this. But many of us may or may not associate with them as the rituals. And so today, I wanted to kind of maybe highlight some of the dimensions of it. Um, so I personally wasn't paying attention to the effects of rituals um, until much later in my own Buddhist path. But as I reflect back, um, I can say that in many ways, uh, rituals played quite a significant role uh, in my own um, Dharma life. I just didn't realize it for a long time. And I remember the first time, first exposure to this was um, when I first came to United States. Uh, very shortly, I lost my grandpa, and who um, was very close to us. He lived uh, with our family the whole of my life, basically, uh, till that time. And uh, he passed away in China. And uh, it was very clear that I wouldn't be able to make my way back uh, to be with him in any way uh, for a wide variety of uh, reasons. I just got here. Um, so I was very confused and a little lost and just not sure what to do. Um, and I happened to go to a Pure Land um, Buddhist Sangha in um, uh, my uh, university town there uh, through a, a college roommate uh, that I stayed uh, with. And uh, not knowing uh, what's possible, I just uh, told them that uh, this is the situation uh, I'm in. And they spontaneously put, put together a ritual and that um, honored... Um, remembered my grandpa for who he uh, who, who he was, and uh, honored him. Um, and I just offered a very brief kind of a description. They put this kind of very um, beautiful and yet a simple ritual um, around it, and offered a chanting and um, offered a blessing for him to have a. Uh, blessed afterlife, which I didn't really know, but it did something to my heart. I felt um, I felt quite e at ease, and I felt that there was some kind of a closure uh, out of this. And so that was a first uh, encounter of the Buddhist ritual, and and in some. Uh, maybe miraculous ways, and uh, probably uh, created a certain affinity uh, between myself and Buddhists and uh, Buddhism, and I got very curious about it, and began kind of exploring and seeking uh, the uh, Buddhist practices and, and the teachings. 
Um, and rituals can have many potent functions in our spiritual life. I wanted to share this um, quote from an article that Gil Franstall uh, wrote about uh, rituals in Buddhism. And so here is what he said. Rituals are a form of language that expresses many dimensions of our human condition, including our relationship to others and to our spiritual life. And then later on in the article, it says, rituals share many characteristics with poetry, theater, dance, in evoking emotions, intuition, and new perspectives. Because rituals touch more aspects of our mind and heart than simple prose and didactic explanations, rituals, like the arts, can enrich our lives and engage the full range of our being. And so I really resonated with that quite a lot. So today I want to share uh, just a few uh, dimensions of the functions and effects of rituals in our Dharma practice. Uh, maybe as a pointer, there may be many other dimensions um, uh, uh, that's uh, accessible to some of you, but these are just a few uh, that I may be pointing out today. So the first one uh, is a relationship of rituals and our hearts. And so in a way, when we engage uh, in rituals wholeheartedly, rituals themselves become a heart practice. It's like a Brahma Viharas. It becomes a heart practice. They can touch and open our hearts and the beings uh, deeply. And so for myself, in my own case, rituals had opened my heart uh, in ways that may be beyond my own logical, analytical mind. It touched something deeper inside of me. Uh, in our traditions, a simple bowing, when we do it wholeheartedly, it can become expressions of many beautiful qualities of our heart. And reverence, reverence towards whatever we're bowing towards could even just be earth, sky, and everything in between, animated, unanimated. Um, and so there can be a deep sense of reverence. Uh, another possibility, bowing, uh, it carries a deep sense of gratitude, uh, humility, and the suggesture of two hands coming together can also symbolize harmony, coming in harmony, and unifying in some way in our being. And so for me, recent months, I've been uh, carrying out a ritual of 108 bows each morning uh, before my own uh, meditation practice. 
And uh, this particular practice was called force uh, because uh, for a while I was experiencing uh, or encountering a lot of illness, aging, death. Um, some really close, uh, my own family, family members, relatives, and uh, people I know of and people I don't know well. And just kind of uh, there's a lot going on there. And so I felt a calling in my heart uh, to express um, a deeper sense of care um, and love and compassion. And uh, one day, I just decided I'm going to do this 108 bows each morning and dedicating uh, each bow to whoever comes to my mind uh, for their well-being and peace. And I had thought that maybe after a while people are getting better, then, you know, at some point I'll stop. Um, but new people keep on getting added to this list, so it hasn't stopped. <laughs> um, and yet this practice has really becoming um, my own metta practice, our Brahma Vihara practice, not necessarily sitting still on the cushion, but in a form of a bowing. And uh, so, um, so simple practices like this can really um, open our heart uh, in new ways that we may not be um, um, opening to previously. The second function or effect uh, about rituals is that the process of ritual uh, involves making ourselves available to that process, unfolding process. And so when we uh, offer ourselves up to this process, and the process can become a force of transformation. And a ritual often leads participants through a process and opens uh, people to new perspectives or new insights. But the transformation is only possible uh, if we put down some of the self-centered um, agendas. You know, I want to get something. As I remember uh, uh, going to the Chinese temple um, uh, before, oftentimes people go there, want to get something, even if, <laughs> you know, that's something in the belief system that, you know, will get blessed uh, by something. But the process of a ritual really is an invitation to open to something rather than getting something. Uh, one of the most significant uh, Buddhist rituals and that function and as, as this kind of a transformation is the ritual of taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, the Triple Gem. Uh, some of you probably have done uh, this refuge ceremony yourselves, and others may have done this on retreats, 
Uh, we often do refuge ceremony at the beginning of the retreat. Uh, for the retreat uh, duration of the retreat, we take a refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And taking refuge uh, in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha for life and beyond uh, evokes an alignment uh, of our life with something that uh, we may aspire to. And so for some people, this can be quite significant uh, and that has a lot of uh, implications. You know, maybe maybe making commitment uh, on how we live our lives. I remember for myself, um, many years ago, uh, when I did this refuge ceremony uh, with my uh, monastic teacher, um, who's my preceptor, offered um, this refuge ceremony to me. And so uh, in this refuge ceremony, he offered me a a small card um, on that, that was my Chinese Dharma name, and um, and the date that the refuge ceremony took place, and it has the uh, refuges and the precepts on the two sides of the little card. So at the end of this ceremony, I felt as if I was reborn into a new life. And kind of like a kind of a, a, a birthday uh, into uh, the Buddha's lineage, and so I was rather significant. It was a kind of a gut feeling, very intuitive sense, um, but it was rather significant. Um, the transformation happens very gradually over time. But if I reflect back, um, this was a significant uh, ritual in my life. I really began to shift little by little in how I choose to live my life. And this may be the case for some people who's done a, um, a, a ritual like that. And the third one maybe is um, uh, one of the most important one. Uh, function about ritual uh, is that rituals, uh, when they're done consciously uh, with a heightened awareness, it opens us up to many dimensions of our inner being that may be otherwise unseen and unknown. And I remember uh, sometimes, especially on the early phase of my practice, Sometimes coming to the practice, we can carry this kind of a mainstream materialistic attitude. You know, I'm coming here to get something or get rid of something <laughs> that we don't like. And, and so let's get really quick. And we just, you know, get to our sitting cushion and boom, we sit. And then um, when it ends, we dash out. Um, and so when we show up with kind of this narrow focus and narrow, um, uh, or, or narrowing ourselves uh, to this uh, set of the things that we want, and we want to gain, we want to get, then um, the practice probably have a different effect on us. 
It's always uh, using it as something to get some more things and get rid of some things we don't like. Um, I'll share another example that was a vivid teaching of this sort for myself. I was um, I was in a Chinese sangha for a long time. We had a, a beloved um, Taiwanese Dharma teacher who once. Um, uh, coming uh, to offer a teaching. We haven't seen her for a long time. So we were all very enthusiastic. We got to um, uh, our uh, little center early, and we set up the desk and uh, the mic, and we were all sitting on the front row waiting. And so um, and that by the time the teacher showed up, and she walked down the hallway. It was really just a, a living room in an old house um, in Sunnyvale. And you know, it was not a big place, but she, she just walked into the room and, uh, you know, get to the desk and sat down. And then he just looked around in the room and the kind of different parts of the room. And then, he, you know, and then her head landed on a corner of the room where the, there was a big pile of messy cables <laughs> all around, uh, you know, kind of cables that connects to the mic and um, and uh, it was a big spaghetti right over in the corner. And so she turned her face, looked at us, and then said, that too is the practice. So we were all sitting on the front row, really embarrassed. <laughs> like, what? And I really don't remember much about the talk, um, but I did remember this. That was a significant teaching for me. That um, when we began to open uh, the field of our practice, a ritual is a vehicle for us to begin to open to all of these processes uh, around um, uh, and included in our practice, including the sitting and uh, the talking and speaking and how we show up. Um, And so as a ritual, uh, each ritual has a beginning, a middle, and end. And so, you know, when we walk into our space, and this is a part of the beginning, how we walk into the space, how we take our seat. And I was uh, inviting, even in our sitting meditation, uh, as a process of a ritual, and how we began this process of a meditation. Uh, what are the orientations that we have? And so open ourselves up to all of these different um, dimensions of it. As uh, when we consider our practice of, as a ritual, there may be a sense of uh, sacredness that can come in. And that as if it's kind of a touching our heart right there. And so sometimes um, when I consider this meditation as a whole field of ritual, 
um, whatever practice we're engaging in, we're already bringing uh, the heart practice with us, and we're kind of integrating all of these dimensions uh, into our practice. Um, want to just take a pause uh, to see what's coming up right now. One thing that uh, comes up for me right now is that uh, in our relationship with meditation, often we're offered with meditation instructions around breath, um, body, emotions and our thoughts. Um, instead of considering uh, these are instructions uh, for our meditation, um, we can maybe see them as a description of the unfolding meditative process, kind of describing a process of a ritual, meditative ritual. And when we see it this way, uh, it may help us to kind of let go of me doing this, me doing the instructions. Instead, we're kind of offering ourselves to this process of meditation, or it's a meditation process, meditative process being offered to us through the, through the, the words and the phrases that are, are um, offered in the instructions. So in this way, um, we may be receiving all of these instructions through a sense of opening to something rather than getting something, receiving something. And there are many possibilities uh, when this is done. Uh, there can be different kind of a beauty that come in. Uh, for me today, and in the in the middle of the meditation, I uh, opened my eyes, and look at uh, all the folks who are sitting here, and uh, imagining the folks meditating on on the YouTube together, and so there was an immediate sense of belonging to the community that came along and belonging to maybe the world um, that we're part of. And uh, when we're not cluttered by our thoughts of wanting and desires, clarity can also come in. And this is where the new perspectives can come in. And as part of the insight practice, and the insights may come along. Maybe not even expressed in words just yet. Maybe it's some form of embodied way how we walk out this meditation hall when we finish. And so um, allow uh, this uh, ritual process to be expansive, maybe including all different elements and that come along with it. 
And uh, sometimes I'm uh, considering the Dharma practice. Uh, if Dharma practice itself is an overarching kind of ritual uh, that has its beginning, middle, and end, we can consider many. Um, it has many, many rituals within, like mandala fractal of fractals, uh, kind of, you know, in our session today as we walk into uh, IMC and all, all the way to the end, we had many rituals of sitting meditation. We had a ritual of um, Dharma talk, engaging with speaking and um, listening. And we may have another small ritual towards the end where there is a community gathering. And can we consider um, incorporating uh, this this kind of dimensions in our practice? Can we treat each day as if we're living um, a ritual of the day? How do we wake up? How do we want to live the day? And how do we want to end the day? And so I um, um, don't have kind of a, a fixed idea about this, and, but the invitation is uh, for you to consider the possibility and what it might, um, uh, how it might affect you uh, in your own practice. And so there may be many different forms of rituals needed for different seasons and different situations and on different days. Yet no matter what rituals we engage in, it's an opportunity um, to live with a clear heart, a clear mind, and open heart. And so may the ritual of our practice Allow us to touch the depths of our being. May it support all beings. So thank you for your kind attention. And uh, we'll open up for some reflections and questions and or sharing you may have. You may have your own relationships with this. Yeah. this with a lot of hesitation um, kind of thought about it whether I should ask or not and what I call of myself is not averse to any rituals as such um, especially being raised in, in India you know it's part of culture and I have been from not being okay with them with being okay with them although and I'm not too um Worst with the Theravada style of literature or, you know, books or what. Before for him, I have read, and from what I have heard, there is something called path to enlightenment. 
and from being a one-time stream enterer to being an arhant, the first um, step, it says, um, and I don't know where this comes from, but it does say the one-time stream enterer loses of what probably, I don't know, his or herself. Rites and rituals. (laughs) So it's... uh, I mean, it took it took a lot to ask this question because I felt yeah. I don't want to sound yeah, yeah. odd or cocky or whatever. But you. the idea is yeah. um, it's hard for what I call of myself or ego or whatever to reconcile that fact mm-hmm. with... Or maybe it's just a sense of attachment to rituals. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a great question. I, I kind of contemplated whether to talk about that or not. Um, but the, the, uh, it's interesting that uh, the Pali term gets translated as rites and rituals, but the Pali meaning is not necessarily rites and rituals. And so what it's really signifying is the first stage of uh, awakening is letting go of a dogmatic holding of certain rules. And, and so, in fact, um, uh, yeah, the direct translation wouldn't map to rites and rituals. And in the um, uh, broader Buddhist scene, especially monastics, uh, Buddhism, uh, rituals are always a big part of it. And then, and how we hold them uh, is uh, what we're asking. And so, are we holding them as "I must do this," and you know, uh, and what's the first uh, first stage of awakening is letting go of a dogmatic holding. But it allows us to open up to discern what is supportive of our own heart and mind on the path of awakening, and what is not. And so today what I'm offering is the possibility of considering uh, the dimensions of uh, ritual that might be supportive in our practice, and not necessarily saying that we must all do this, you know, this is it. And, uh, uh, and so that becomes a dogmatic holding. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So, we, now I think about it, every evening my wife and I do a sitting for 20 minutes. It's kind of, become ritualistic in the way it's evolved. It's not anything we said, this has to be done this way or that way, you know. In fact, it wouldn't be formally approved, so to speak, because the cat gets on her lap because it's so settled and we do this. And and it's evolved out of necessity of, you know, especially my wife's challenges with sleeping due to the heavenly messengers and the world situation and all these different things have and this seems to have helped calm her down, help her sleep and helps me too of course and, and that is a way I guess I could see how rituals evolve in that way and yeah. it's not you know, yeah. so, beautiful 
And a part of uh, I was what I was um, hoping to point to is to begin to um, become conscious of how these uh, processes and elements of ritual can have different effects on us. And so for me, it was many years not realizing it's actually doing something uh, to my own heart and mind, but becoming conscious of it. Oh, oh this can be very supportive. And this can be, and then we, be, then we began to able to, to learn what really supports us and what does not support us. And so this, uh, yeah, this recognition uh, has a role. Yeah, so noticing and recognizing, oh, this has become part of my life. Yeah, yeah, great. Ying Chen, thank you so much for your talk. Um, what came to mind for me was uh, many years ago, I, I was um, bothered, um, uh, pretty bo- deeply bothered by feelings. Um, my mother had passed away and I hadn't been with her at the time, so I felt bad about that. And I looked over my life with her and thought of like a number of times I had been unkind or not as kind as I could have been. And, couldn't really forgive myself for that. So somehow I came up with this idea of creating a ritual for myself because I, I felt like well, I, I would write on a little piece of paper every unkind thing that I could think of. Of course, there were lots of little pieces of paper. Then I, made a, uh, I filled a pan with water, and one by one at my gas stove, I burned these and threw mm. them in the water, <laughs> threw them in the water. And then at the end, I could like toss out the water, and I felt as if my mother was just, um, if she had been alive, she was holding me and saying, I know you love me, and I forgive you. And it really worked. So that was just a one-time ritual, but it was powerful for me. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. A grief, uh, a grief ritual is powerful for many people. That uh, for myself, in the sense of my grandpa passing away, there are definitely some sense of grief and confusion, and uh, offers such a closure and a healing. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely and open to new possibilities. And that's also another form of transforming, you know, because otherwise we could be holding a lot of regrets or uh, it's just kind of attracting us. And this becomes a process that allows things that are unprocessed to be held uh, in um, safety and, and, and kindness and so that it can get processed. Yeah. Thank you. There's one more there. Thank you. Um, my, um, this is a question for you, I guess, just, um, my experience with rituals, there's been periods of time where I've hesitated participating in them. 
And then I've gone back to look at maybe I should give it a second chance or third, fourth chance. How is that a typical cycle? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I and I appreciated this question, and I think uh, I kind of connected with the first question also in some way. Sometimes we may have been exposed to the way of doing rituals that are harmful to us, and we can kind of shut off uh, ourselves. And I certainly had a very dismissive uh, attitude towards them at the very beginning because of my own exposure. It's like, you know, going to this big temple and that people just, you know, it's smoky and crowded and just, and like, busy getting, I don't know, things. And, and I just kind of felt very lost in them. And I didn't have a very... Um, and then uh, uh, I didn't have any really uh, positive relationship with them until I began to notice. And, the, and you know, some of the rituals I participate on, uh, maybe not even aware, kind of it's a state at my subconscious level, and I wasn't really aware what was happening. But I didn't know that it's doing something to me and through, began to become aware, oh, this wasn't kind of a how, uh, 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 what it is, kind of um, like what, how, how I associated with it before. And so I began to open to the possibility that, oh, this may have something different to offer to me. And so, yes, um, we can go through some of the cycles and then especially some of the, the rituals can be done in very dogmatic way. And kind of like, you got to do this, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, we may kind of feel very uh, distant with that kind of attitude. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so for thank sharing. Thank you for the, for the question. Yeah. It's kind of like a whole territory. <laughs> and so I just invite... Um, maybe considering um, open to this a little by little and, and um, becoming aware of the effects on us. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we need to, yes. Yes, I will be around <laughs> for a little while. So I probably just... Um, are we just going to be outside or in the community hall? Okay, I'll stand somewhere. <laughs> so thank you everyone for being here. And let's um, maybe end with a typical ritual in our, uh, in our sing, and that is a dedication of a merit. So may we all just take a moment um, to settle in our bodies, on our seats. Maybe just bring forth on this last few hours being together any form of a goodness that you can touch in, in your own being, in small ways, big ways.
And allow this goodness to expand and touch your whole being. May it support our well-being. And may the glow of the goodness expand in all directions. And may it support all beings everywhere. May all beings have well-being. May all beings be free. Thank you.